Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being with us. If you would, open your Bibles to Genesis, the 12th chapter. We're going to begin there, and then our text will actually be out of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, in just a few moments. But if you'll be turning to Genesis, the 12th chapter, and we will begin there in just a few minutes. We appreciate so much. Uh, all that Andrew does on a regular basis around here. Our Bible classes show a great amount of thought and uh, foresight and planning, and much of that comes from Andrew, and we appreciate so much his work in that area. I have heard so many comment in the last few weeks about how much they love the study on Galatians and everybody studying that together and then looking at it together in, in uh, the, the sermon hour and and I know that many of us feel that way, and we appreciate so much the many, many, many hours that he has given in writing these lesson plans and uh, the tremendous help that it is in our lives as he breaks open to us every week the Word of God in that fashion. Also, we had a tremendous uh, teacher's workshop and luncheon yesterday, and many of you were here and benefited uh, from that occasion. And, and again, he organized that and, and gave us that opportunity, and we appreciate that so much. God blesses us richly with so many folks that are doing whatever their area is to the best of their ability and giving God the glory. And let's make sure that each of us allow that to be our daily walk, to do our best for God. Just as last Sunday night we looked at Noah an Old Testament character saying, what is it that Christ would bring over into the New Covenant to say, what are lessons that we can learn from this? Let's do the same thing with Abraham tonight. A powerful Old Testament story, but yet what is it that inspired writers in the New Testament would say, hey, even though it's an Old Testament story, here are lessons that ought to be carried over even into the New Covenant. So let's take just a moment and look back first, just a brief overview of this story, and we'll begin here in Genesis, the 12th chapter. One reason why Abraham is such a powerful figure to study is because he touches three of the major world religions. You see, those that are Jewish appreciate Abraham because the ancestry that comes through Isaac, the Hebrew nation, they count him as a great father of their ancestry. Also, those of the Muslim world appreciate him because of his son Ishmael. And through him comes the Arab people. And so they look at him as a powerful and great leader of their past also. And of course, in the Christian faith, we appreciate Abraham because through his lineage came Jesus Christ. And so we count him as a wonderful father and our ancestry also. And so it is quite remarkable to study one figure that touches the world in such a way. But tonight, let's look in God's Word from the Old Covenant into the new covenant to see what is it that God would not only want us to see what took place in his life, but a few thousand years after his life, what is it that God would want us to know even a few thousand years after that writing in the new covenant. Let's look now at Genesis, the 12th chapter, at probably one of the things that has the greatest impact upon the life of Abraham, where God comes and speaks to him of the promise. And if we're going to know the life of Abraham, we have to know that he is the one that God gave him the promise. And let's look at the 12th chapter. We'll see this promise, and really it ends up touching in three areas. But here we are in the 12th chapter in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, and this is for his name change to Abraham, says to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Mark that line right there, to a land that I will show you. Notice this next line. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Now mark this line. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If we're going to understand the promise that God gave to Abraham, there's a threefold promise that we've just read there. As a matter of fact, the underlines previously marked each of these. But we see that a part of the promise dealt with the fact that there was a land promise. We saw that in the first verse where he told him to leave the land and he would go to a land that he would show him. In other words, he was going to promise to give his lineage of people a land. And we see that unfold throughout the Bible. Also, we see a second aspect came out of the second verse, and that was a nation promise. Through him would a great nation come about. And then tied closely with that, we see the promise of the seed. In other words, it's through him that every nation on earth would be blessed. Now, we know under the old covenant, primarily the Hebrew nation was blessed because of Abraham. But when Jesus Christ was born through that lineage, of course, he was a blessing to all nations. So the seed aspect of the promise especially deals with Christ and the covenant and the salvation that he brings to us. Now, if we were just going to hit just a couple of highlights in the Old Testament before we go over to see what the New Testament writers would say about him, we probably should stop, especially considering that we've been looking at uh, the book of Galatians. Let's stop for just a moment in the 17th chapter. And a couple of these I'm going to mention to you. We don't have slides, but if you have your Bible open, in the 17th chapter, you'll notice in verse 2, he reminds him, this is still Genesis, he reminds him again of that covenant. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you. And by the way, friends, this is not making a new covenant. He's just reminding him of the covenant that he's made. And he says, I'll multiply you exceedingly. And then he gives a sign of this covenant beginning in verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign. That's a powerful word in this reading here. Circumcision is going to be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This was such an important and uh, revealing covenant, uh, sign of covenant. Notice how it would mark distinction. Let's skip down to verse 14. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you see how important this was. This was such an important covenant that if someone says, I want the blessings that God gave through Abraham, but I don't want to take part in that sign of the covenant. The Lord would say, absolutely, you can't be in the camp among the Hebrews. You're to be cut off. That's such an important sign. Now, this was a perpetual sign. It was to be passed down generation after generation. This was to perpetuate the covenant and to mark the identity of God's people. Now, with that in mind, and that's all the time we can take tonight in this lesson on this, but with that in mind, we see one reason perhaps why it was so important to those Judaizing teachers when we study the book of Galatians to keep this alive. You see, to them, it was such an important thing under the old law. And so I guess, and I, I mean that when I say I guess, I guess to them they were thinking, listen, Christ and His covenant's good, but this area of circumcision is just too important to leave behind. And of course, Christ and the apostles were saying, we're not picking up the old law. The old law has been fulfilled. We're living only under Christ's law. Again, just to reiterate, Christ's gospel cannot be mixed with anything. 
anything, whether it's old law or modern day philosophy, Christ's gospel can't be mixed with anything. If you're turning pages with me, you'll see in the 21st chapter that that promised son, Isaac, is finally born. You see, Abraham and Sarah were going to have to have a child if, in fact, that great nation was going to come through them. And finally, at the age of 100, Abraham and 90, Sarah, they finally have that child. And then that child is asked by God to be offered upon an altar in the 22nd chapter. If you were a parent, you would probably agree with me. That's one of the hardest passages in the Bible to read. And then after reading it, stop and ask yourself, do I have that much faith? Now, that's just a quick overview with so many things missing of the life of Abraham. And there are many writers in the New Testament that spoke of Abraham. Romans, the fourth chapter, is a powerful chapter about Abraham. Soon, we'll get to, on Sunday morning in your Bible classes, in, in Galatians, the third chapter, some powerful writings about Abraham. James writes in a couple of chapters about Abraham. But if we had to pick one text that really gives us just a quick overall view of the life of Abraham, the high points, and what God wanted us to learn, even as New Testament Christians... Hebrews, the 11th chapter, is the best place that we can go. So let's spend some time tonight in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, let's begin reading at verse 8, and we'll just work a few verses at a time through here. So we'll start with just verse 8. Notice how he says, Hebrews 11 and 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We see here that Abraham is remembered, and note here, as it is with the style of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, whatever's mentioned about each of these characters, it's mentioned because of their faith. Now, we've just mentioned the fact that when he was given that covenant, and when we read Genesis, the uh, 12th chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3, I wish while we were there, we would have real quickly scanned verse 4. Because verse 4, he answers that covenant plea to God and actually answers it by moving. And so here is the reference. Once that covenant was given, God asked him to move. Now, the reason it was a move by faith was because here was a man that was apparently very wealthy, no doubt very settled into his home, but yet God asked him to move. Now, you say, well, why would that be faith? Well, he didn't understand probably all the reasons God wanted him to move, so that is a leap of faith. But to me, this is one of the greatest aspects of leap of faith. He didn't know where God was sending him. God didn't say, here's a map, here's the destination, here's all the wonderful things that's going to, to greet you when you arrive into your private retreat or resort area. Oh, no. He just says, Abraham, I want you to go. He left probably an established estate and lived out of a tent. Friends, I need to ask myself, am I willing to move for God? Do I have that kind of faith, a faith that would move even when I don't understand all the ways God is taking me through life and I don't understand exactly where the end is going to be? Am I still willing to move by faith? No doubt, we would struggle with that from time to time. Before I was born, my parents moved to Long Island, New York as vocational missionaries. My dad, would, when he arrived in Long Island, would find a job in a potato chip plant. 
and he would work there for the four, five, six years that, that they were there. And it was during that time that I was born. The only reason they sold a nice brick home in Columbia, Tennessee, and sold their possessions except all that would fit in a, in a little Ford Falcon pulling a U-Haul trailer, the only reason they did that was because they believed that they could make a difference in God's kingdom to move. And they did that. You know what one of the elders told them where they were leaving? One of the elders walked up to my dad holding a baby, my older sister, and said, you're crazy. And went on. Doesn't sound like the faith of Abraham to me. What about you? And I've heard my dad say, and I've just thought how powerful this is. Dad would say, you know, if I was going up to Long Island to play second base for the New York Yankees, people would think I was making the move of a lifetime. But if I move up to Long Island to do the work of the Lord, people think I'm crazy. What do you think? If you would have been Abraham's neighbor and Abraham would have come to you and said, the Lord has asked me to move and I'm going to give all of this up and I'm going to live the rest of my life in tents. I won't ever be back this way again. Would you say, Abraham, I don't care if God Almighty asks you, you're crazy. Would that be our response? Thank God that you and I stand on a lineage of people, Father Abraham, that had enough faith to move when they didn't understand all of the places that they would end up going or all the reasons why. Friends, the gospel is spread across this world today because people were not afraid to move. The gospel will be spread across your street because people are not afraid to move. Lord, please give us more Abrahams, even if it's just moving across the street or if it's moving around the world. We have to love and appreciate Abraham, and that's one of the things that Christ would want us to know from the new covenant. Love and appreciate Abraham because of his faith. They'd be willing to move. Also, and, and if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, we're going to spend too much time on this first one. But if we could tie a couple of passages together real quickly, to me this is a very powerful point. I also wonder sometime if Abraham moving wasn't a tremendous overcoming of his family. Uh, of course, I wouldn't ask you to raise your hands, but I just wonder how many of you have grown up in homes where parents were not faithful. And sometimes we use that as an excuse. Well, the reason I haven't been able to do much for God is I just didn't have the right upbringing. Well, you know, the best we can piece together about Abraham, he didn't have the right upbringing either. But yet it didn't stop him from being the father of the faithful. And by that I mean, look with me to Acts the 7th chapter. In Acts the 7th chapter, and there aren't screens for this, these, but if you want to look in Acts the 7th chapter, we're going to see a beautiful uh, review of the Old Testament history, especially beginning with Abraham as Stephen gives his address. And this is, of course, going to be the last message that Stephen ever preaches as he will be executed after this by stoning. And, and he is reminded in verse 2, or we are reminded of the story of Abraham. Brethren and, and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And like I say, we don't have time to develop this in depth, but those of you that know this and want to study this more in depth, we're learning something here that's not told to us in the Old Testament. 
In other words, when we go out of Genesis, the 11th chapter, the last three or four verses, and into the 12th chapter, this is missing. All we hear is him being called from Hebron when we go over into the Old Testament. But here we find out that really Abraham was called the first time back in Mesopotamia. And so this is remarkable. And notice in verse 3, and he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you will now dwell. Now, I wonder, and I want to emphasize that, I wonder from time to time if Terah, Abraham's father, dying before he receives the second call to move again, if it was just a coincidence or if the Lord did that for a reason. Personally, I believe that his father was such a handcuff, a weight of burden to him living a godly life, that it might have been God waited for his father to die so that he could better serve him. You say, well, David, why in the world would you say that? We know one thing, that paganism was strong in that area of the country where they lived. And you say, well, why did they move there and settle down? Go with me, if you will, to the book of Joshua. In Joshua, the 24th chapter, this is why I wonder this. In Joshua, the 24th chapter, we begin reading just one verse here in verse 2. Joshua 24 and 2, he says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. God tells us what kind of father he had. Where he lived is an area that's known, if I'm remembering right, was known for moon worship, for the God of the moon. And here is a father of Abraham that did not worship the Almighty God. And it was after he died that God gave him another call, almost as if to say, okay, let's get on with it. Go ahead and move for me. The reason I bring that up as we think about Abraham moving in faith is I need to realize I cannot hide behind the excuse of family. Well, I would do more for God if my family this, or if my family that, or I would be faithful to God if my family this, or my family that. Friends, all God wants to know is what you're going to do. He understands you can't live the life of your family, but you can live your life. You can develop your faith in God, and you can grow that faith in God. God never asks us to do what we cannot do, but He has no problem asking us to do all that we can do. But then before we leave this, I'd like to flip that same coin over. If I'm a family member, a father, a mother, a child, or whatever, wouldn't it be a shame if God was looking down from heaven and saying, you know what, that family would be a lot more faithful if they would just go ahead and die. Preacher, I can't believe you said that. I'm just going by this example here. It appears that Abraham did a lot better job of serving God once his father died. Wouldn't it be a shame if that would be true of me as a family member, my family would do a lot better job of serving God if I were not around. Let's make sure that we're willing to move through life by faith instead of moving through life so unfaithful that we hinder others that want to be faithful. Let's go back now to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And let's think not only about Abraham being a man that obeyed and he moved, but as we go in verse 9 and 10, we see... 
another beautiful description of him as he was on this move. We're in Hebrews, the 11th chapter now, verse 9 and 10. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now notice this line here. For he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He dwelt not in a permanent structure. He dwelt as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, as one that was just traveling through. He left the permanent structure because God asked him to. And so you could go up to Abraham and Sarah and say, how are you guys living now? And they would have to honestly say, well, we don't really live like this is home. And then you could say, how can you stand it? Nobody wants to live an unsettled life. How can you stand it? And I suppose their answer would be what the Hebrew writer reveals right here. Oh, it's easy to stand. We know we're doing God's will and and we're just waiting for that place, that city, that home that God is making for us. That's how we do it. And friends, it's no different than what the new covenant reveals to us. We're just travelers through this earth. We sing the song and, and let's hope we mean it. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's what Abraham was. And out of all the things that the New Covenant writers could have brought over and said, learn this lesson. This was one of the lessons God wanted us to learn as New Testament Christians. This earth is not our home. We're waiting for that heaven. When I lived on Long Island, New York for a few years, I remember talking to a lady that had gone up there to do mission work back in the 60s. She was still there in the late 80s. And I asked her out of curiosity one day, I said, how long did it take you to make the North feel like home? And I was so startled. She'd been there almost 30 years. And without hesitation, she said, oh, it's never felt like home. They're still there doing a tremendous work for God. I'm sure she would give the same answer. Oh, it still doesn't feel like home. Somebody would say, why would anybody do that? Friends, she's not living for this earth. She's living for her Lord, waiting for that home. If my idea of Christianity is God wants me to be comfortable, God wants me to be content and happy and settled. I probably haven't read the Scriptures much. You know what God wants? He wants you and I to be spiritual and to put our hands to the plow and wherever He leads that plow, He doesn't want us to look back. I don't want you to think that I believe that everybody in a congregation has to go off and do foreign mission work or mission work out of state. I don't believe that be any stretch of the imagination. But I believe God will move us in our daily lives to places that we may not be so comfortable going. But if we'll put our faith in Him, we'll find out that sojourning and waiting for that home in heaven really brings a greater reward and contentment than trying to make this earth our home. Because if you really stop and think about it, this earth isn't all it's cracked up to be. How did we begin the service tonight? We begin the service by praying for a brother. that probably had no plans of being in a hospital this afternoon. Oh, to be more like Abraham. Let's flip the page and and let's look now in the uh, uh, 
17th and 19th through 17 through 19. And let's see about this tremendous story of Abraham offering his son. <clears throat> 17, 18, and 19, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. An unbelievable thing, but yet by faith it's believable. Verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, this was Abraham's conclusion, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so we know the promise that, that he's to be a father of a great nation, and that promise has come through Isaac, but yet when Isaac is born and he's growing up to be a young man, instead of being able to see that promise being unfolded before Isaac ever has children, God says, I want you to go and I want you to offer him on Mount Moriah to me. Can you imagine that? He packed the donkey with wood, and he took a knife with him, and he took fire with him, and he woke his son up, and they started early the next morning on this three-day journey. And as they see the, the mountain afar off, he tells his slaves, his servants, he says, you stay here. And he takes the wood and puts on the back, and he takes his knife, and he takes the fire, and he takes his son, and they begin to climb this mountain. Can you imagine what it must have been like lifting those rocks to make that altar? Can you imagine what it must have been like placing that wood, knowing this would be the wood that would fuel the fire that would burn your son? Can you imagine binding your own son up and laying him on the altar? Can you imagine taking a knife and lifting over your son for no other reason except God asked me to do this? It didn't make any sense. There was nothing logical about it. There was no way he could say two plus two equals four. It was strictly by faith. And God stayed His hand. And we say, what was that all about? We go over to the New Testament and we just read. God said it was a test. That was it. I just wanted to see how faithful you were. And now we know why He was called the Father of the faithful. Do I have that kind of faith? Do I have a faith that believes in a God that will ask great things of me? I believe sometimes the reason we never do anything great spiritually in our life is because we really don't think God expects great things. I want to learn, as I read through the Scriptures, what God expects. And if I'm learning from these characters that I read in the Scriptures, God expects great things. Last Sunday night, we looked where He expected a man to build an ark back before the days of probably rain, much less a flood that would cover the earth, and an ark would take over 100 years to build. He expected something pretty big. He expected Abraham to move. He expected Abraham to offer his son. God expected pretty big stuff. And what happens? Abraham steps up. He believes in a God that asks great things. I believe that God asks great things of individuals as well as congregations. I have no doubt in my mind that God is giving you and I the opportunity to go do great things as a congregation. Now, we can decide God is a small God that doesn't ask much of a congregation, or we can see God is a great God that says there's a whole world to reach. Will you, will you reach them? Friends, let's be like Abraham. We'll sum it up with this. He sacrificed much because he believed in a God who asked much. But secondly, I need to see this. I need to see that he believed his obedience to God was more important than his feelings of parenthood. He believed in the obedience of God was more important than his feelings of parenthood. He didn't go and offer his son upon an altar because that just felt like the parental thing to do. How many times do we as parents hold back the discipline that we ought to be given and, and the only reason we hold back is because it hurts as a parent to do that. Now you kids may find that hard to believe, but it really does. 
It hurts to do that. Why would we do that? We must believe that obeying God... If you've got your Bible open, it's the very same page probably. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Punishments be administered with pain. Plain and simple. It's be accompanied with pain. It's not easy to do that as a parent. Which is most important? Obeying God or doing just what feels good as a parent? You know, we probably have a lot more children that were respectful and obedient if we'd obey God instead of just following the parental feelings of wanting to feel good about things. But finally on this, please notice, he did and obeyed what was right even when it could make no logical sense. That's why it's faith. Let's make sure that as we think about the Abraham that we've just read of, that he was willing to leave home and become a pilgrim looking for the eternal home. Do you realize that God calls us to do the same thing spiritually? Leave our home in the world to become a part of His family that's not at home in this world, that's waiting and serving for that eternal home. And so, having said that, and seen it from the Scriptures, I want to ask you tonight as we extend this invitation, have you left home? If you're still at home in the world, tonight's the night to leave home. It's the time to turn your back on that and and look to a God that loves us and that provides for us and And He's a powerful God that asks great things of us. But the rewards, the rewards are far more than we could ever imagine. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, or if you have, but yet you've strayed away from what you ought to be, won't you tonight come home to God and look and live for that eternal home? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.